0: You know, there's been a lot of claims made on this podcast, but I think this one might be my favorite. Happy hour can save a marriage. I feel like this is going to deeply resonate in the hearts of the people. You're listening to Lead To Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Lead Hello, friends, and welcome to Lead Them to Life. This is going to be an awesome conversation today. I am sitting down with Deacon James Keating. Deacon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be with you.
0: So you were in Sioux Falls a couple months ago for a couples conference that we hosted. And I got to tell you, uh, you had the entire room in absolute laughter, I think, through 99% of your of your presentations. But it was so funny because at the very beginning, as you started, you know, you're this, uh, I, I shouldn't say, you're a graying uh handsome man, you know, with the title Deacon, and everybody kind of anticipated a very serious thing, and so I think you cracked your first joke, and everybody was like, are we allowed to laugh at that? Uh, it just was awesome. So, Deacon, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, all the things.
1: Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for the compliment after the graying, also. appreciate that.
0: I said handsome, <laughs> right? Handsome graying.
1: Handsome graying. Um, Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from New York and uh, studied theology most of my life, all of my life, I guess. Uh, I met Marianne, my wife, in uh, 1985, and so we've been married 34, 30, coming up to 35 years almost, and uh, I taught college in Pennsylvania for a bit, and then I started teaching in seminaries, uh, taught in a seminary in Columbus, Ohio, and then I went to work here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am now at Creighton University for the Institute for Priestly Formation and as a theologian there to help them with their mission of uh, ministering to the interior life of diocesan priests. And just recently, I accepted a new position at St. Louis at Kendrick Glennon Seminary to be professor of spiritual theology down there. And I have four kids, Um, I'd say they're all grown by now. 19 more, to, or less, uh, right. more or less grown 19 <laughs> to 30 something and some of them live in Omaha and some live in St. Louis so uh, we are launched so to speak
0: yes you are empty nesting and soaking in all of the joys of that huh
1: yeah it's going to be interesting and fun it'll be nice to see Marianne again yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen her in a while
1: huh <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen her in a while <laughs> <For> 34 years <laughs>
0: So Deacon, you shared uh, the last time you were here, you shared about a happy hour tradition that started for you and Marianne, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about how that started, where it came from, and really kind of the impact that it had on you and Marianne's marriage.
1: Yeah, great. It's one of my favorite gifts that Marianne ever gave me, actually. And it started because I was a workaholic and, you know, uh, nervous about a new family when we had first started getting married. And I had always worked for Catholic institutions, so I was never rich. So I was always anxious about money and working and getting more secure. And so that made me into someone who went out the door a lot and not mm. necessarily enjoyed coming home. Because coming home, and I was unproductive. And unproductive meant insecurity, and insecurity meant fear, and fear meant maybe I wasn't being a good husband, and all those anxious type things that people go through. So um, into this uh, first job I had in Pennsylvania, I started a doctoral program, which was to secure my job even more, so I could provide for the family. But Marianne noticed that I was not really with her at all. I was always working or studying. And so uh, one day she said to me, this is gonna end, A, the marriage is going to end, (laughs) and B, your behavior is going to end. So which one do you want? You either change your behavior or we're in big trouble here because we're not uh, internalizing. She wouldn't say it this way, but what I discovered later is we were not internalizing each other's presence. Can you say
0: briefly what that means?
1: Yeah, we're not hanging around each other long enough to reveal each other, reveal ourselves to each other Mm. so that each Spouse can begin to feel secure that the one they love has revealed themselves sufficiently so that that one whom they love is now carried in their heart. But if you're not revealing who you are, dreams, fears, anxieties, hopes, if you're not really revealing to your spouse who you are, she never gets a chance to internalize you, carry you, hold you, and therefore be safe, right? The great masculine put-down for women is, oh, you're so needy because um, she wants to be with you or wants to talk to you or have a conversation, you know. How dare she? Burdensome things like that. Uh, You're so needy. And it's not a neediness. It's a um, a, a cry out for presence. Mm. And as she cries out for presence, uh, the husband is supposed to respond to that with self-revelation you know, who I am, and then she can receive that, internalize it, carry the man with her. And then actually the man can go and do what is um, essential, which would be to produce for the family and secure the family. But if it's done prematurely, like I was doing it, all you breed in the wife is insecurity. Mm -hmm. And so at one point she said, either stop all this stupid work, or we're going to lose each other. And her plan was uh, annoying to me because it meant that I have to sacrifice some of my study time. And she said, every day you're going to come home at uh, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. and have a happy hour with me. And I was like stunned. I was like, this is the most trivial thing I could imagine. I am, you know, progressing my way to to greatness and to to securing the family with millions of dollars. And you want to have a drink with me at five? You know, (laughs) it's ridiculous. This is, there's got to be a better way to save this marriage. And she just looked at me and said, no, this is it. You're coming home at five every day. And we're going to talk to each other. And I was uh, very angry at that. And I uh, always remember the first day when she had told me that this is going to be the new way of our life, looking at the clock and just resenting her so much that she would intrude in my work this way. And so I decided in a very mature way that I would punish her. And when I got home to do the happy hour, I would just, you know, give her the silent treatment because this is stupid. How immature can you be to disrupt work this way? And so uh, she had all the drinks out nice and ready and pretzels and a seven and seven for me and a wine for her. And I just sat, sat there stone cold and she started talking and relaying her day. She was an elementary school teacher at that point. And she was drinking her wine and talking and laughing about all the stories she was telling about her little kids in the classroom and i just sat there and i said you know i hope you're getting the message that this is ridiculous and after 20 minutes of this um she just looked at her watch she looked at me and she said uh thanks for coming i'll see you here tomorrow and oh she went up and left we were sitting on the back porch She got up and left, and I'm sitting there stunned like a bomb went off, like, what? This is ridiculous. (laughs) What is she trying to do? And she just sat there for 20 minutes, wasted 20 minutes, pulled me down from the university library, and then she went in and started cooking dinner like nothing happened. And what she was doing brilliantly, whether she knew it or not, and I guess she knew it maybe a little bit, was reorganizing and reorienting my whole being toward actually being a spouse, to paying attention, to the woman who I said I wanted to marry, so she was brilliantly uh, forming me into a spouse, somebody who would give themselves and not be preoccupied with um, self and anxiety, but one who would surrender and give themselves over to the other, whom they said they wanted to live with their whole life. So we've been doing that for thirty-five years. So basically when did you? What saved the marriage?
0: When did you stop giving her the silent treatment?
1: Oh, about three or four times into it. About the third one, I, I started taking a sip of the drink and I tasted good. And then I started talking. <laughs> and then we haven't stopped drinking and talking in <laughs> four years. <laughs> and it's the, you know, it really, literally is the highlight of my day. Like when I'm traveling now for work, the only thing I ever want to do is go home, where and before I wanted to be um, away. I wanted to, you know, do activities and this would be fun to see new cities. And now I just say, ah, oh, I got to travel again. I got to leave Marianne. I hate it. And the only thing I want to do is be home at 5 p.m.
0: Can you name what the shift in your heart was? Was it, was it simply just enjoying the time and recognizing, hey, I'm enjoying this time? What, what was it that shifted your, your heart that third or fourth time in?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, some grace of realizing her presence, the gift of her presence. Like, this is not normal that somebody wants to actually choose you. <laughs> this is the great surprise of marriage that unfortunately we don't think about enough, but uh, somebody has actually chosen you. Uh, they are a gift to you. And we either take it for granted or we don't appreciate in deeper thanksgiving the choice that they have made. They have actually literally made a choice for, for them to be yours and you to be theirs. Their whole life,
0: yeah.
1: And it just hit me that how, how dare you trample this gift of this person? And um, we have to contemplate that more deeply. Like sometimes I tell guys that every morning you ought to get up, you know, look at the woman lying next to you, and just say, "Are you still here? <laughs> this is astonishing. Like wow, she's you know she's chosen me again. She hasn't left. She yeah. she's still with me. And and that's the great. Um, truth that came over me. It's like, she has chosen me. Uh, you choose her now.
0: So Deacon, we all get married for this reason, right? Saying I'm going to choose this person for life. Why? What's at the heart of why couples grow distant from each other? I mean, if you could really boil it down, is there something that you think you would find at the core of of couples that, that feel disconnected, that feel... Uh, yeah, how dare you want to spend time with me?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, some of it's fear. Some of it's just um, habit, taking each other for granted, the distractions of the age. And I really think um, Marianne's formula is, is the, the correct one for solidifying the foundation where you don't take each other for granted and you don't get distracted by the busyness of the day. And that is, you need time each day, just 100% time with each other, 20 minutes, a half an hour. Doesn't matter how long it is per se. It should be somewhat, you know, longer than uh, a dinner. You know, five, ten minutes of, you know, how we eat dinner in the United States, just ten minutes, and we're all gone from the table. So, a substantive amount of time with your spouse in this posture of self-revelation. And that's the, that's the glue, the adhesive to intimacy, is if you keep sharing what's in your heart and patience, because mostly what we share in our heart, the spouse usually knows, or they heard a hundred times because we're all, you know, neurotic. So there's not much new going on in there. But the patience of the spouse to, yes, I know you're afraid of X. I know you're anxious about Y coming, but I've heard this a hundred times here. I'm listening again, I'm reassuring you again. And then hopes and dreams, yes, I know you want to build a ranch one day and ride horses. And yes, I've heard this other hundred times, but this is, this is what love is. It's bearing the, the, the human being who you said you would live with until you're both dead in all of his complexity, uh, in all of his simplicity, in all of her pain, in all of his sinfulness. And yes, it's tedious sometimes, but that's the great gift you're giving to each other. You're giving the gift of presence and patience in an atmosphere of self-revelation and reception.
0: Wow. I love that you said that time set aside uh, needs to maybe be more than at dinner. I, one of the revelations for me during quarantine is that uh, the, the time for my husband and I to really connect is not at dinner. And it's because we're up and down and I need milk and I need, we know we've got young kids at home. And so we've had to carve out that time, you know, outside of that. Um, When one of the first things that you said was fear that can, can kind of be at the core of couples growing distant fear of fear of what fear of the self-revelation.
1: That's part of it. You know, it's very dangerous to us to actually be so vulnerable. So a lot of times it is fear of vulnerability. And sometimes it's also, I think, fear of ordinariness. Like we all feel some of the um, the burden of, especially maybe in this time of quarantine too, we're feeling it even more, routine. And we, we as Americans, we're naturally disposed through advertising, the movies, uh, social media, to jazz up life a bit, you know, get out of your rut. Americans love to get out of the rut, so to speak. And to be with the same person for 30, 40, 50 years is the very definition of a rut for (laughs) Americans, right? And so like, here she is again, same person, there there that person is, can't we do something else? I mean, my gosh, let's do something new here. And so there's always this idolatry of the American popular culture coming into what you might call peacefulness, the peacefulness of the ordinary and, and trying to disrupt the peacefulness of the ordinary take us from each other with dreams that somehow we're missing something and um, we're not really we're not missing anything and what I learned in all of my travel and escapism and workaholism is the only thing I really missed was my wife (laughs) sounds so boring and prosaic but there's there's nothing out there don't worry you're not missing anything there is a escapism and there's momentary distractions like even when people travel sometimes they'll to the grand canyon they'll say there's the grand canyon and that's it you know you look at it for a few minutes and then you go back home Mm -hmm. i mean even the great things that were being promised outside of the home they're only fleeting little distractions you travel to europe you see the eiffel tower there it is okay now what are you gonna do Uh, take it and put it in your purse and bring it home with you of course not you're just gonna look at it turn away and leave it's astounding to people how few uh, minutes, they actually stand before these great monuments they've been longing to see for their whole lives. And they just stay in the ordinary and keep f- fantasizing about Paris or Rome or wherever. They're fantasizing and they're missing the only thing of substance in life, which is the person sitting across from them in their living room, their their husband or their wife. And this is why prayer is so important, because Jesus leads us into this awareness that there's nothing really out there other than the sacrament that he has given us. And he wants us to really embrace that and know that. Everything else is just a a little foray into novelty. But the person sitting next to you, with you, in your home, is a sacrament. It's Jesus with you. Where are you going? That's what he gave you. That's where meaning really is. That's where life is life to the fullest, his promise.
0: Whoa. So is the answer to bring newness into the marriage or is the answer to get more comfortable with uh what was the word that you used consistency ordinary mm-hmm. uh you know what's what how do couples really then build that intimacy if somebody's listening saying digan that sounds great but i got to be honest we're bored we you know our date nights are kind of dry or or whatever uh mm-hmm. how, what would you encourage them to do?
1: Yeah, well, boredom is just a, it's kind of a sign that you're too (laughs) self-involved. It's kind of of an interesting measurement, really.
0: Say more about that.
1: Well, like I'm bored with you, you know, I'm just so bored with you. Notice the focus is all on the self. The focus is on, you're not entertaining me. Well, I didn't sign up to be, you know, an entertainer. I'm a person. I'm a person who loves and gives and serves, but I'm not entertainment and here again is where the whole wash of American values just takes over our marriage It's like what are we gonna to do tonight you know make up something for me you know perform for me give me a show make me feel like I'm being uh, pleased all of that is so self-involved So when you get bored with your spouse the first question you ought to ask is who the heck do you think you are anyway why just why do you think that you need to be entertained? that you need to be pulled out of your, your self-involvement by your wife. Why don't you just go uh, make the bed or do the laundry? Uh, do something for somebody else. It's it's incredibly embarrassing to be an American, actually, because most of our pain is self-inflicted by egoism.
0: Wow. Okay, the egoism meaning the, the centered around the self.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 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 So couples are bored. What should we do? It's like... Well, first thing you should do is stop thinking about yourself.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Deegan, for I think I think many couples, any couple, quite frankly, anybody that's married, they've experienced the wounds of marriage. There, there's just realities that it's hard, and and we, yeah, have expectations of our marriages, of our spouse that sometimes go unmet, and that can be a wounding thing. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, And also, uh, what you in in one of your books, uh, Spousal Prayer, you talk about a wound of of our spouse. Can you just unpack that a little bit, what you mean by that?
1: Well, there's perfectionism. And, you know, when we get married sometimes, uh, especially early on, there is a projected perfectionism onto our spouse. We do daydream that, you know, the knight in shining armor is going to come and save me from something. And then uh, we have daydreams about how he or she is going to be perfect. Perfectly pleasing to me, and that um, really is a you know besides the boredom thing being self-involvement, projection of perfection and the need for the perfect spouse, is really a sign of the absence of deeper contemplative prayer. In other words, the only perfection you're ever going to find is with the Trinity, and so that when you have these desires for perfection for your spouse, that's the Holy Spirit really saying you should be praying now. Because don't burden your wife with that. Don't burden your husband with that. That's God. It's God you want when you want perfection. It's not your wife and it's not your your spouse. And on the flip side of that, there are uh, just expectations that spouses have of one another. And these just needs should be met. So for example, going back to when we first started our conversation, Marianne had a just need to have her husband listen talk to her, want to be with her. These are all expectations that need to be met, that the husband or the wife is actually providing for the family, that children are being cared for. These are expectations that must be met, despite the sacrifice of the husband or the wife. Because once we start having pain, once pain comes into the relationship, then we, we, we tend to back away. But a lot of times that pain is just the call of a just expectation that needs to be fulfilled. So get off your butt, buddy, and do it. That's part of love. You've got to you've got to push beyond your desire for comfort and you've got to surrender and give to the just needs of a spouse. So we don't want perfectionism. That's the call to spirituality. But we do want some type of crucifixion in the marriage. In other words, a laceration of ego needs in the service of the just needs and the correct needs of my wife or husband.
0: Which is painful.
1: And this, which is why a lot of couples go on the rocks because one or the other, there may be one valiant one who says, I'll suffer, I'll keep suffering, I want this. And then there'll be some guy or some woman who just says, no, I'm done suffering, I don't wanna give anymore. I wanna think about me now. And that's the great tragedy of marriage when it fails, is that one or the other partner will not get up on the cross of self-gift. And so they drift away into isolation. They drift away into their own world, and then they abandon their spouse. Uh, Quite a tragedy.
0: So when I have failed to uh, enter into a crucifixion-type love and wanted to stay comfortable and need to approach my spouse later on and acknowledge that, how do do couples work to heal that ongoing in the day-to-day things how do we do that from the
1: man's perspective I, i have found it's just the reassurance of presence um that if there's a wound that occurs between two of us it's just you have to keep reasserting i'm here for you i i acknowledge it's very very much the uh it's it's the whole sacrament of reconciliation right when you go to a priest uh, you go to the priest and say, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. In other words, I want to be in the presence of God right now. And secondly, here, here's my sin. Here's what ruined my relationship with God. And then I have to spell it out. I have to say, I am sorry for stealing money from my work. I have to say it. And that brings you into reality. So that once you come back into reality, the relationship can be mended. Difficulty sometimes for couples is that they don't go to confession to each other. They don't say, bless me, you know, Helen, for, yeah, I sat on my butt all day and watched sports and I didn't paint the room that I promised you. I am sorry. I am a lazy person, but I now want to, I now want to make it up to you, right? The original understanding of that word, you're kneeling at the person. So you want to face them again when the sorrow and when the forgiveness has been bestowed let me make it up to you. Let me, in other words, look at your face again. Let me be able to look at your face again. And that comes through explicit naming of the evil I did, the seeking of forgiveness, and the desire to remain in her presence. Now, the interesting thing with human psychology is once I don't paint the room and I sat on my butt all day and watched sports, the last thing my wife wants to do is be with me, mm-hmm. right? So, Because she has been the wounded one. So you need to give her time to go to that space where the wounds are being healed by her own contemplation, by her own reflection. Okay, the guy's a jerk, but Bob did come to me. He did realize the evil. He did realize it, and he asked for forgiveness. So as the woman is by herself in her bedroom or some area of the house where that lazy lout isn't right now, she's reflecting. She, he tried. He's not God. He's a human all right, I'll go back. And then he's we- he's ready to be in the presence again, because he has offered forgiveness. And she is ready to be in the presence because she has contemplated on his humility. And that made her uh, be vulnerable again to him. If he wasn't humble, she couldn't be vulnerable again to him. hmm does wow. that make sense?
0: Yes. I, I'm sitting just with the analogy. I'd never heard the, uh, let me make it up to you. Let me look you in the eye again. Yeah,
1: Get back to your face again. Cause yes. when we do evil things, we are shameful and we turn away from each other. Yeah. So I want to look at your face again. means you're fully reconciled. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Like looking in the eye. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So many of the people that listen to lead them to life, uh, take the faith very seriously. And I often hear couples, uh, talk about the difficulty that it is to pray with their spouse. And I wonder if part of it is because of that self-revelation that you were talking about beforehand. Um, Have you noticed that in couples? Why do you think it's hard? And do you have any pointers for how couples can do that better?
1: Yeah. It's the whole intimacy question again, you know, marriage prep, uh, engagement, courting, all of this should be like a riot festival of self-disclosure and it's Uh not. You know, it's, it's not about learning intimacy in the United States. It's mostly about learning sexual intercourse. So it's all about the body is unrobed first. The body is undressed first and we never learn how to undress the soul.
0: And if we can't
1: do that, when our bodies are undressed, we're like, who is this guy? Yeah. It's It's like a stranger. Yeah. So we're, we're, we've got it backwards in the culture. And we keep trying to think that the undressed body is the pinnacle of self-gift and self-revelation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But not if it's done backwards. If it's, it, 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 the, bo- the undressed body only is a, a, a sign of celebration if all of the suffering has gone before to attain intimacy. And intimacy is then celebrated in the commitment and the commitment is then sealed in the naked body. But we do it backwards. So when we're talking about prayer, we're talking about the most vulnerable and intimate of experiences, even more than sexuality, because you're talking to God in the presence of the woman you love, in the presence of the man you love, revealing your soul to the eternal, in the presence of the one you've given your body and soul to. In time, there's no more intimate setting. You can't even think of a more intimate setting. So if you don't trust each other, if there's no intimacy, uh, family prayer or spousal prayer just becomes name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Uh, thank you, God, we had a good day today. Uh, Bless the kids. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Like it's a transaction of dismissal, but it's not really what prayer is.
0: Okay, so what is it? How do couples do
1: this? Well, part of the thing is they may have to go back and forgive each other in areas where they haven't yet done so because this, the trust is lacking. You see, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and pray with you because I'm still mad at what you did to my sister. Yeah. You know, so how am I gonna pray with you? And this is, you know, so much of this is unconscious of, so, and that's why you gotta sit and contemplate. It's good for couples to go into the empty churches once they open up again, but go into the empty churches and sit there quietly five or 10 minutes, look at the cross, say, what do I really want to say to my wife? What do I have to say to my husband to regain trust? And so that we can be uh, available to God and available to each other. Trust is the big thing that prohibits spousal prayer, I think, the most.
0: Wow. So um, some practical tips. Go sit before the crucifix together. Go to confession, yeah. Go go to confession. confession.
1: When you become aware of harms that maybe you haven't yet confessed that you've done to your spouse that might prohibit her from trusting you uh, or trusting uh, your husband, uh, go to confession. Uh, Sit quietly with the crucifixion. Ask the Lord to raise things in your heart because sometimes it's in there, but we're not conscious of it. And you don't want to go rooting around violently, kind of saying, what's in here? You know, what did I do to this woman? Tell me all my bad stuff. You know, that's not, that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So you just let Jesus gently rise, raise it up. Jesus, is there anything here that maybe I have said or done to my spouse that I've yet to ask for forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Let that. Jo- oh, yeah, there it is. And, and the Holy Spirit will always raise it gently. You know it's God because it'll come to you like, oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that to my wife now. A confession, silent prayer like that. And then the conversation that's needed is, I really would like to pray with you. I really would like to spend time with you in a happy hour each day. Um, but here's some obstacles I see. But let's not let this desire die. Let's work on uh, any background work that needs to be done first. But let's just keep aiming for either prayer together and then a happy hour where we just one-on-one with each other. And note also that prayer, especially in the beginning, um, I like to pray in the church with my wife. But you have to say a lot. That sitting in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament is very good. You do have to pray, you know, out loud occasionally, but it's not a big rambling thing. It's just your real heart being given over. So don't be too afraid of it. Don't think it has to be a big long conversation, but it just has to be substantive and real. So that your wife or husband can receive your full self, and that's what they'll fall in love again with. the The, the, the key to marriage is to keep falling in love with, again with each other in ordinary ways, in ordinary things. You just that's why I always encourage sometimes spouses to just look at each other from afar. You know, your wife is taking care of the kids or something. Just look at her. It, you know, and thank God for her motherhood or. The, Wow, how did I ever get such a beautiful woman? Just start being grateful. Look at each other. I call it beholding each other, which gives the gratitude. It gives the gratitude to your heart. There's your husband you know, doing something out in the argue. look out the window at him and say, what a, what a great guy. Look at mm-hmm. him. I love him. If you don't fall in love again uh, in the ordinary circumstances of life, you're going to become bitter and hardened.
0: Wow. And I think that 's such a good example of when you articulated, "Let it come forward don 't go digging around for things um, to pay, yeah to be able to pay attention is another great example of letting those things just arise. That was something that you had taught me several months ago that I continue to think about in so many different ways. Uh, I can tend to go digging, I can tend to go digging for questions or answers or whatever and Yeah, to simply allow them to create the space to allow those things to come forward, to allow myself to simply behold Matt, to watch him, I think is a beautiful example of that. Yeah,
1: because Jesus knows what needs to come up from the unconscious at this time in your life. You don't. That's the gentleness of it rising. Otherwise, we're just, you know, doing violence to ourselves. Whoa.
0: Yeah. Oh, Deacon, I could talk to you for five hours. Okay. I ask all of my guests that that come on Lead them to Life if there's a question that you have been pondering, I'm a firm believer that through the proposal of questions in my own life and in others' lives, I think we learn a lot about ourselves, about the world that we live in, uh, and perhaps about God as well. So I want to know if there is a question that you have been pondering. The only rule is you can't answer the question, uh, mm-hmm. but something to allow our, our listeners to sit and, and to contemplate as well. It can be fun, silly, serious, spiritual, or anything in between.
1: Uh, Jesus, why don't you um, why don't you make yourself more known to us when we pray?
0: Hmm. Oh man, now I want you to actually answer that because I feel like <laughs> you have an answer.
1: <laughs> can I? I want
0: to break my own rule, but I won't.
1: <laughs> if you want to, you can. But...
0: <laughs> can you? Will you? Okay, yeah, dig in. I can't pass up the opportunity. What? <laughs> take a stab at it. What's what's the revelation to you in that?
1: Well, all I can think of is two things is, you know, he's, he's more subtle than we believe. He, he's not an American. He's not a bull in a China shop. So I think <laughs> that when, he, when his answers come, we're just not ready for them because we're looking for the lightning in the sky. And he's just this subtle, he's like, uh, he's like somebody, you know, you're sitting next to your spouse maybe, and um, she'll just reach over and grab the top of your hand. You could miss that. Because you're looking for the big hug, you know, or you're looking for her to rip her clothes off and go upstairs, you know, to the bedroom, and all she did, she just—you miss the hand that moves on top of your hand, and you're like, "Well, that was dumb." I mean, I didn't feel anything, nothing. <laughs> but that's how God is. God is this, this kind of oracle of subtleness, and as Americans, we just want all this explosion and excitement all the time. So one of the things He might be teaching us by not being this lightning in the sky is that love is uh, communicated constantly, not through events.
0: Hmm. The subtlety
1: of perfume. The subtlety of it. It's in the air, yeah. always. It's in the air, always. It's not an event. You're, you're immersed in it. The reason he doesn't seem like he's answering you is that he's one with you. When you're one with someone, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between you and them. Am I with someone or am I alone? But he's so close to us and he's always moving. You know, you can even go through the natural rhythms of things like, oh, I happen to be breathing right now. I guess my prayers are being answered. I'm alive. You know, all the way to, oh, we got a new baby. Our prayers are answered. So events, but most of it is this subtle breath. I'm alive. That's an answered prayer. Don't be looking for events when his hand is just moving on top of yours as he sits next to you
0: just enjoy that. Hmm. Oh man, I'm glad I gave you the opportunity to answer and broke the rule (laughs) because I think that's going to be very, that's very helpful to me. Deegan, thank you so much for giving of your time. Friends, I would love for you to share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it, especially your spouse. I think spouses to listen to this together would be an incredible gift uh, to your marriage. So uh, know that we are praying for you. Uh, Please share it with a friend and we will see you next time.